0: Welcome to the Future of Risk podcast from Zurich, North America. I'm Renee Koa. Companies managing international fleets may be finding the streets paved with a variety of global risk exposures. Today, we're talking to Cody Griffin, head of International Casualty, and Jim Littlefield, managing account executive for International Casualty at Zurich. Cody and Jim are here to discuss why having a centralized insurance program makes sense, and some pointers for risk managers who are putting one together with an insurance carrier. Cody and Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Cody, let's start with you. Given that so many American businesses don't have a controlled master program for their fleet, can you briefly explain what this is and what it does?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A controlled master program for auto or really any other line of business is a centralized program that consists of a master policy along with local admitted policies. The master policy, it provides difference in conditions, difference in limits, and really access to your U.S.-based uh, access policy uh, to really fill any potential coverage gaps that one might run into. Outside of those coverage benefits, though, CMPs also provide an insured with the ability to pay claims and utilize services like risk engineering where policies are purchased locally and provide numerous other admin benefits like tracking costs. And in the COVID environment, tracking costs has become so much more important. And I'm I'm going to segue to Jim here really quick because he had just sent me a really interesting article from the New York Times on supply chain issues and, and what's really driving those costs up. Jim, over oh, to you.
2: Thank you, Cody. Um, so. Many of us have already heard about uh, supply chain issues in general, in the automotive area in particular, but they seem to all report on the same issue, which is a shortage of chips. And while the shortage of chips uh, issue is important, it's not the only thing, especially when it comes to repairs. So the chip issue really has impacted the number of new vehicles being produced, which will affect uh, an insured's ability to get the make and model that they wanna replace a total loss with. Many of the manufacturers are uh, delegating their chips only to higher end vehicles or vehicles with higher feature content, all of which drive up costs when you're replacing a vehicle. However, following an accident, not every loss is a total loss. So the other uh, items being impacted uh, via the supply chain whether it's from lack of material or lack of labor to produce the, the components, anything made with plastics. Uh, for example, they cited that the windshield washer fluid holder was not uh, readily available for certain models, uh, thus impacting the time it takes to repair the vehicle and replace the vehicle. Now, you don't normally think of that as being critical, but you really can't put a car back on the road without a functioning windshield washer system, right? So, all of these things are impacting both the cost to repair and the cost to replace damaged or destroyed vehicles.
0: And this is just one risk that's out there, uh, Jim. What are some additional trends you're seeing when it comes to risk exposures? I wondered if the global risks are a lot different from the ones you're seeing domestically.
2: Honestly, they're not. Uh, most of the exposure seeing domestically, whether it's distracted driving or uh, increased uh, marijuana-related accidents because of the uh, legalization or decriminalization thereof, these things are uh, happening all around the world. So about the only thing we're not seeing to the same extent would be what they call or what we're calling social inflation, meaning higher bodily injury claims. But making up for that, we're seeing higher property damage claims because of the supply chain issues that I just mentioned.
0: So given all of these risks happening all over the world, I guess I'm surprised by the percentage of businesses that don't have a centralized insurance program for their commercial fleets. Do you have any figures on this?
2: Uh, That's a good question, Renee. And well, we don't have hard numbers because really it varies by the type of risk and what type of fleet they might have, whether it's a, a commercial vehicle driven fleet or a private passenger driven fleet and the size of the account. I would say for larger accounts, uh, perhaps one in 20 of our international programs is a fleet program meaning only about 5% of programs are commercial fleet, with the rest being commercial general liability driven.
0: Wow. And what about the administrative challenge for risk managers? I would imagine keeping track of all these policies would be so complicated. Doesn't a centralized program streamline this?
2: A centralized program certainly would streamline this, but the real question is whether or not the risk manager is managing the program at all. So uh, especially with fleet, a lot of uh, the purchasing of insurance is done along with vehicles that are leased from a leasing company. And this is often controlled by a procurement division as opposed to you know, the, the tr- more traditional risk management division. So if the risk manager is tight on staff, which so many are, and doesn't have enough people to help handle all the data and all the functions that you would have in a controlled master program, risk managers seem to allow procurement to ma- manage this or if it's not procurement, just allow it to happen by country individually, meaning each country can just go out and purchase the insurance they feel is necessary for their fleet in that country. So. There's a number of reasons why they might not take on that additional workload, uh, but certainly if they understood some of the value add that we can provide when giving them a controlled master fleet program, they might reconsider that.
0: And and I want to talk about those benefits, but before we do, is there a minimum size fleet or a minimum number of countries where a company – really needs to consider that a global program makes sense?
2: So I would say from a size standpoint, you probably want to have a few countries, at least four or five. Um, You know, there's always exceptions to that. Certainly Canada cross border would be an exception. There's a lot of insureds that do have Canadian exposures, a large Canadian exposure, and we've been known to uh, them on providing The insurance from the US uh, on a local basis. But other than that, uh, I would say it's generally going to be four or five countries, and I would say at least 10 vehicles per country. So that would be the smaller end, say 50 to 100 vehicles. I would say most of our fleets are probably uh, in the 200 to uh, 1,000 range. That would be the bulk of them. And then there's a handful of accounts, of course, that have over a thousand vehicles that we are also working with our customers to provide uh, a CMP for.
1: The other thing to touch on, too, is just geographical considerations. So Jim is absolutely right. You know, once you look at the number of vehicles and the number of countries, but it's not unheard of to see motor programs be bifurcated, meaning you might have European and Canadian autos or fleets more so in a centralized program. But then the risk manager might have just a handful, one, two, three countries in APAC where those continue to be procured locally. So this really isn't an all or nothing approach. You can take that more deliberate and, and sort of segregated look at putting one of these programs together.
2: I would actually say, Cody, that that is the rule. Um, unlike a CGL program where you are covering 100% of the products around the world and you're providing the local insurance for practically all the countries in a fleet program, because you're probably looking at only those countries that have 10 or more vehicles and only those countries where the program can be easily administered, you're definitely going to have countries that fall outside the program where the master policy would act DIC but the local policy is placed independently of the program. For example, if you had three vehicles in Uruguay, uh, that's below our minimum of five vehicles per country, and so they're placed independently. However, you still have the DIC, DIL benefit of the master should a large claim occur. Okay, so those
0: are compelling arguments for looking into this, being it's so flexible. Um, So for a company ready to move to a centralized program, what would be the most important things for them to consider?
2: So one of the benefits of a centralized program or any program with a master policy is access to higher limits via the umbrella. So that would be one. The other, of course, is to be certain that there is coverage in-country for those uh, automobiles, especially liability. While we don't see a lot of bankruptcies here in the United States of insurers, Uh, We have seen several over the past few years in Europe, in Romania, in Denmark, and other countries where the local insurer went bankrupt, leaving all their insureds without coverage for a statutory cover. So let's also remember we're talking about statutory coverage in most countries. So not only is it a a risk management issue from an insurance standpoint, but also from a compliance standpoint in that you must have insurance in most countries for liability on a motor vehicle.
0: Well, so what does a company do if they have insurance in a country and their insurer goes bankrupt? I mean, do they scramble to find another insurer? And how long does that take? It just seems like it creates this huge liability problem.
2: It does. And if it's not part of a controlled master program, It could be weeks or months before the risk manager ever hears of the bankruptcy, if ever. Um, So it really depends on their internal mechanisms and how much authority the local country has. Now, imagine a country that has a smaller exposure. um, They don't have an in-country risk manager or even a procurement officer and They might not even be aware that the company went bankrupt and that the insurance on their vehicles is no longer valid. So having a controlled master program brings all that information to the risk manager here. Now, of course, it's much less likely to happen because, for example, Zurich and I'm I'm sure everybody else vets their partners to make sure that they are financially stable. But things happen, and we could then arrange for another partner to provide coverage, worst-case scenario.
0: That makes sense. Cody, is there anything else you wanted to add about benefits to a central program?
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I'm one who loves data. I think that is one of the leading reasons why we sell centralized programs in the marketplace, especially for motor programs. You know, you traditionally have a lot of claims activity when you're looking at these fleet sizes that are numbering in over a thousand units. And if you have those local policies separately insured, oftentimes it's it's very difficult for the risk manager to to really aggregate all of that data and get a true understanding of where the lost drivers are, what countries those are coming from and put together a plan to attack it and, and and drive down those costs. And since cost is king, right? One of the things that, that a risk manager's job truly is, is to figure out a way that they can lower those costs. So having the ability to have a centralized program to aggregate that claims data, to better understand all of your KPIs and then put together that robust plan is a huge benefit for, for pretty much anyone out there. Uh, The other thing I want to point out too, and Jim had made a a note of this as well, that in most countries, having liability on an auto program is required, right? Similar to what we see here in the States. Um, You know, when we don't see that actually occur, so for example, if someone for whatever reason in the procurement department forgets to actually issue that bind order for uh, for that auto program on a timely basis... You can run into instances where you're having a delay in the issuance of auto ID cards. And without those auto ID cards, what happens? It stalls out the business. You can't have any on-road activities, which essentially leads to a significant amount of of revenue uh, drop for the client. So being able to centralize that, having that centralized servicing takes away a lot of those concerns.
0: That would seem to be huge to me um, and agree about the importance of data. We're using it in every facet of of our lives and our businesses. So it just makes sense this would be a huge benefit. So, with all of those things that you both have told me, I'm tell me why a company would not choose to purchase a global program.
2: The only possible reason, uh, Renee, would be allocation of resources. They don't have the resources to manage uh, all the data here stateside uh, on the program. But when you think of uh, the potential liability that comes from an automobile accident, an entire family in a vehicle, a bus, um, anything where you have a large number of individuals involved, auto liability can be your largest driver of catastrophic claims especially for companies that are involved in services. So much more so than general liability. So it really should be focused on more. I believe some of the risk managers think that because it's statutory, they're going to get the coverage one way or the another locally, but there's so many other reasons to get the C- CMP, like the data gathering, you know, for example, We had a risk where in the last two years, we noticed that they had four vehicles stolen in France and we were checking to see if there was anything going on, if it was the same employees, if it was in the same region. And we did discover that the vehicles were all of the type that were commonly stolen in that country. So the risk manager now can decide if they want procurement to seek other vehicles if they're gonna get additional vehicle protection, uh, additional options when they buy the vehicle for security, or even engage in some driver training in different countries. So there's so many options available to a risk manager when they have oversight of the data that passing on a motor fleet program really doesn't make that much sense.
0: And I wanted to go back to something earlier in the conversation about leasing and kind of relying on the insurance from leased vehicles. Can you talk about that? Because there's a lot um, of assumptions that businesses make regarding this coverage that may not be giving them the coverage they
2: need. So, Renee, on that sort of thing, a couple of things happen. One, generally speaking, you don't know the cost of your insurance because it's all wrapped up into the lease price and very often it's not broken out. So all you know is that you're getting a vehicle for a certain amount per month, and that includes the vehicle, perhaps a maintenance plan, some insurance, you're not really quite sure what the insurance is. Of course, then the insurance is blurred with the maintenance. Um, oh, okay. So. So your insurance costs aren't really known. Second is you often won't get a loss run. Um, And if you do, it's only by country and it's not centralized. So very similar to having insurance by country. Um, And finally, you don't know who the leasing company is using as an insurer many times, which goes back to the financial stability of the insurer. Sometimes there might be an insurance company owned by the leasing company involved, so all of that is unknown to the risk manager, especially if lines of communication between local management and the risk manager aren't what they could be.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, and Jim, you mentioned, um, and Cody, if you wanna uh, talk about this too, the risk engineering benefits a carrier can offer. Can you talk about that? Is it, is it about helping a company manage compliance or is it about uh, transportation and driver-related risks?
2: Cody, I'll start. So it comes down to a few different things. It, a, it depends on the fleet. So if the fleet is primarily commercial vehicle driven, you could get into all sorts of telematics and understanding where the vehicles are going and the speed and how many hours of the day they're on the road, et cetera, et cetera, and then assist the risk manager in making decisions on that data. On a private passenger fleet, which is generally executive salespeople, they are fairly resistant overseas to having their personal data tracked uh, by the company, even if that means uh, where they're driving and when they're driving, et cetera. So there, what we have, for example, are driver training classes in everything from bad weather to left turns to parking where to park, how to park, any number of things. Uh, The vendor that we use even provided a uh, going back to work after COVID course, um, reminding people to bring masks with them, uh, things like that, so that they would be ready once they were allowed to start driving again.
0: I think I could use one of those courses too, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, Cody, did you wanna add anything to that?
1: You know, so Jim is, is spot on, right? When we look at our risk engineering services, really what we're focusing on is what's the problem that we're trying to help our customers solve? And, you know, at the beginning, it's the commercial versus the private passenger. But, you know, to me, it's, it's just highlighting the fact of everything that we can capture and then create that, that unique plan for them. We've we've seen data that's been aggregated and then stratified by our team where we can actually look by the hour to determine when we have the highest propensity of accidents to occur and then dig in, ask the questions to the risk manager. And we might say, oh, yeah, you know, from 12 to 1, that's the uh, highest time of rear ends or speeding or whatever it might be. And that's because everyone's rushing to get out to lunch. Maybe we should take a, a closer look at that. So really you know just making sure that that we can partner with our brokers and our clients and understand where we can help them along the way that's what we're trying to
2: push
0: that's amazing
2: and, and even to get to that detail we offer uh, our insureds an analysis of what they're doing by country so we set up a risk engineer with the fleet manager or procurement officer in each country to go through the basic fleet management skills? Uh, Is there a maintenance plan? Is there a review of driver records if that's uh, allowed in that country? Uh, What are the average ages of the drivers? All sorts of upfront analysis to share with the risk manager so that he has a better idea of what is going on in each country. Because again, very often they don't have that oversight when they start a fleet insurance program with us.
0: So, even for companies where they think they don't have um, the bandwidth to oversee something like this, it sounds like an insurance carrier will work with a company, and it certainly seems to me it's worth talking about and discussing with a carrier. Would you agree with that?
2: I would agree with that, Renee, for sure.
1: Absolutely, 100%. It's
2: worth a so, discussion.
0: Cody and Jim, thank you so much for talking um, to us today about.
2: Thank you, Renee. Thanks for taking the time and organizing this. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.